1580 is for discerning listeners just like you. So tell all your friends you've discovered the talk station curating smart content for smart people. We're KBLA Talk 1580, and we've got you black. President Joe Biden and congressional leaders have failed to resolve the impending debt crisis at a contentious meeting in the Oval Office that took place yesterday afternoon, but they plan to meet again on Friday. Each side accused the other of being unreasonable. And Biden, for the first time, said after the meeting that there have been White House discussions about taking the unilateral step of invoking the 14th Amendment to circumvent Congress and ignore the debt ceiling, although he later seemed to dismiss this idea. George Santos, a Republican congressman from New York, was taken into custody today. He has been charged on a 13-count indictment, including seven counts of wire fraud, three counts of money laundering, and one count of theft of public funds, two counts of making material false statements to the House of Representatives. The scandal play congressman who ran on a life story littered with lies is finally facing federal charges. Now, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican House Speaker, says he should remain in Congress. Santos has pled not guilty to the charges. Donald Trump was found liable for sexually assaulting E. Jean Carroll, a journalist, uh, 30 years ago in a department store in Manhattan. The Manhattan jury found that the former president sexually abused and defamed E. Jean Carroll. Trump was ordered to pay $5 million in damages, including punitive damages. Now, he says he will appeal the verdict, and he still plans to appear tonight at a CNN town hall. Steve Schwartzman reportedly is refraining from backing Ron DeSantis for president. Schwartzman, the billionaire co-founder of the investment giant Blackstone and a major Republican donor, met with the governor of Florida recently but says he's unconvinced about his odds for success. Other GOP backers are unhappy with DeSantis over his policy positions as he prepares to declare his candidacy for president. Senator Dianne Feinstein, Democrat from California, is returning to Washington, D.C. Her office announced she didn't make it back in time for a critical vote on Tuesday evening, but was expected to be back in her office today. Uh, Feinstein, 89 years old, has been uh, dealing with several health-related issues, but her return to the chamber will restore a Democratic majority to the Judiciary Committee, where Democrats were becoming increasingly concerned about their limited ability to move forward with judicial nominations. Prices climbed 4.9% in April compared with the year before as inflation continues to ease. But households and businesses are still feeling the sting of high prices and the ongoing fallout from this spring's banking crisis. And an NBC News poll says that Joe Biden is trailing Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis by as much as seven percentage points. This same poll says that Biden is behind Trump with respect to the key uh, demographic of young folks. Now, Democrats are pushing back on this poll, and political analysts say it's basically trash. Others, including former senior advisor for the Republicans' uh, House Oversight Committee, Kurt Bradella, says today's polls and the way polling is conducted are pretty much useless. We're going to get into all of this 
trending news today. You are listening to Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one-stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. In this hour, I am joined by two brilliant contributors, Dr. Raphael Sunshine. He's the executive director uh, at the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State University, Los Angeles. And Christopher Walton is back. He's the former chair of the Democratic Party in Milwaukee. And in hour two, we're going to break down that verdict that $5 million civil verdict against Donald Trump. I'm going to talk to a very, very accomplished victim's rights lawyer, Nancy Smith. She actually represented Gretchen Carlson against Roger Ailes. Uh, and Nancy's going to help us understand not only what the jury probably was thinking when it awarded E. Jean Carroll $5 million, but what are the chances of Donald Trump overturning this civil verdict? And also in hour two, we're going to talk to a Democratic strategist about how Donald Trump is trying to spin this verdict and what is the likelihood that this verdict starts to chip away at some of his support, not only from his base, but from those independent voters and those white suburban female voters who we know are so critical uh, to general elections. But before I bring on my guests, here's what I'm thinking about in real time. If you went to any elementary school in this country, you have read a scholastic book. That's because Scholastic sells more than 100 million books to 35 million children a year through its famous Scholastic book fairs. And I surely remember reading those books. And as a parent of three kids, I remember organizing those Scholastic book fairs for my kids and their schools. This is why this story really, really hit home for me and kind of made me both sad and upset. And it's a story about an author. Her name is Maggie Takuda Hall. She wrote a beautiful love story uh, for school-aged children. It's a tale about how her grandparents met and fell in love at an incarceration camp in Idaho that held Japanese Americans during World War II. Now, the book is called Love in the Library, and it's geared towards six to nine-year-olds. It was published by this small publishing house. It didn't do really well, but Maggie got super excited because Scholastic reached out to her and says, look, we want to put your book, Love in the Library, in libraries and schools across the country. So she was super thrilled thinking, okay, my book didn't sell well on the bookshelves, but guess what? It's going to be in schools. So six to nine-year-olds that are in school will have a chance to read the book. And then here comes this part that makes me both sad and angry. They wouldn't just take the book as written by Maggie Takuda Hall. Scholastic proposed edits to the book, including deleting a sentence where she contextualized her grandparents' experience as part of the deeply American tradition of racism. The company also asked her to remove a paragraph connecting bigotry against Japanese Americans to current and past manifestations of racism. Uh, And this is where Maggie describes a culture, she's doing this description in her book, that allows the police to murder black people and keeps children in cages on our border. 
Maggie, as you can imagine, was super, super deflated, upset, angered by the nerve of Scholastic to tell her to change her book, and not only to change it, but to change these key passages that make the book the rich story that it is. She did not back down. She clapped back. She said, no, thank you, Scholastic. No, thank you to your 35 million school kids and you know the millions of schools that you have your books in. She went to Twitter. She took to social media. She wrote a blog post. She drew more than 5 million views as she described how Scholastic tried to bully her into changing her book and wiping out the reality of what her grandparents had experienced. They literally tried to change the story, change the narrative, whitewash history, and Maggie wasn't having it. She wasn't here for it. And uh, as fate would have it, of course, now Scholastic is doing a deep dive. They're investigating their editorial process. They've made this big commitment to changing the way books are reviewed and the way that authors are, you know, addressed and and how they handle situations like this. I just want to give a big shout out to Maggie Takuda Hall for having the courage to stand up to Scholastic to say, no, thank you, Scholastic. I'm not writing a book that whitewashes history. I'm not changing my grandparents' story to fit your culture wars or to make some Republican governor in Texas or Republic or you know, Florida to make them feel good about how they are trying to rewrite history. I want to thank her for standing up for principles and for standing up for the truth and for being willing to miss out even on a big contractual deal with a publisher like Scholastic and to say the truth matters more in this case than the paycheck. So uh, if you have an opportunity to buy this book, Uh, For your six to nine-year-old, do so. Let's make sure we are all supporting Maggie so that authors like her continue to push back on editors when they try to wipe out our history. Racism is real in America. And that's, you heard it first. And I hope not first, but you heard it right here on Ariva Martin in real time. When we come forward, more of today's trending news with my expert contributors. The real deal in real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. The way we spend our time defines who we are. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. All right, we are back, and in this hour, I'm joined by Dr. Raphael Sonnenshine. He is the executive director of the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State University, Los Angeles. And Christopher Walton, former chair of the Democratic Party in Milwaukee, uh, is also joining today. Thanks to both of you for uh, joining and lending your brilliance on these uh, hot topics we're going to, uh, to tackle today. And since you both are political types, let's start with this poll. An ABC poll that has not only Donald Trump, but... Ron DeSantis, who has not even declared himself to be an official candidate for president, they have Joe Biden polling both by 7%. What do you make, Rafe, of this poll? Uh, I wasn't bowled over by this poll. For one thing, it's a survey of adults, not registered voters particularly, (laughs) which means it's a mixture of people who are kind of half watching the news while something else is going on and are not very engaged, and a lot of people who are engaged. The startling number that really raised hackles for me is that about 25% of young voters were supporting Joe Biden. Now, that just does not fit 
with what other surveys are finding. So unless suddenly everybody under the age of 30 had an epiphany <laughs> that everything they're saying and doing is completely wrong, the trouble is this happens with surveys all the time. You get kind of weird results and you're kind of humble about it. But what tends to happen nowadays is people just put it right out there and say, oh, by the way, young people now have turned against Biden and they really think Trump would be a terrific president. When it when you might want to say something like we were we were weirded out by that, too. So maybe you should give a little thought before you begin reporting. I think the real problem is that the press is probably a little bored with the fact that it's probably going to be a repeat of Biden versus Trump. And I'll probably have a fairly similar result. And I think that that's not a very interesting thing to report. So this one gets much more coverage than other polls that show different results. It's not evil. It's just kind of human nature, I think. I'm laughing, Rafe, because literally I had this conversation with my 90-year-old aunt as I was buying my Subway sandwich sandwich <laughs> on my way to the station today. She was saying, oh, my God, you know, Trump could win. And then I had to remind her, I'm like, keep in mind that Trump lost two years ago and he didn't have a criminal indictment. He didn't have a $5 million civil verdict against him. He didn't have these open criminal investigations from both the Department of Justice, uh, Georgia, and all kinds of other jurisdictions. The people said we were tired of his drama two years ago, and now that drama is on steroids. Uh, and I told her, I said, this is like the Super Bowl. And it's the Super Bowl when you have unmatched teams. And the media is so bored with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because they are so normal mm -hmm. and they are so drama free. They're not indicted. They're not being accused of sexually assaulting or pushing people in dressing rooms or trying to overthrow you know, the U.S. government. They've got to create something to keep you watching television and reading newspapers, because if they just called the balls and strikes the way they really are, everybody would just, you know, watch their favorite Netflix drama <laughs> and they wouldn't be watching news. So I, that's right. why I'm chuckling because you, you said that essentially exactly what I was saying <laughs> to her is that so much of this is just being driven by the mainstream media's need to keep some kind of battle between Republicans and Democrats going. Uh, what about these polls, Christopher? Uh, Kurt Bardella said, look, these polls are ridiculous. We don't even need to talk about polls. And he said these approval rating numbers also are antiquated because the country is so polarized and so divided that back in the day when you can really gauge how people felt about their president, that day is gone forever because Republicans are not going to ever give Biden high remarks, no matter what he does, and right. pretty much vice versa in most cases. So are you with Kurt that we should really do away with these approval rating numbers as well as some of these polling techniques that are used? A lot of these polling techniques, well, as a political junkie, I appreciate the polls. It gives me something <laughs> to play around with and watch the maps. As a matter of actual science, in fact, nothing matters in these polls. A lot of these polls are not representative. If you want to see what things are probably going to look like going forward, you can go ask you can go ask your neighbor next door. They'll tell you exactly what you want to hear because the way our country is set up right now, everything is so sorted and so heavily pardon, partisan and politicized. These polls are not effective. I remember back in 2020 when there was a poll, uh, I think it was an ABC News poll also, that came out <laughs> saying that President Biden was up 17 points in Wisconsin in October of 2020. Now, 
I would have <laughs> loved that. It was great for fundraising, but that's not a fact. That obviously that wasn't true. Um, and even if you look back at 2022 and 2016, polling just does not affect. It does not reach the people who are voting. Um, what, but as Ron why, said, but why, Christopher, would they even do a poll of adults versus registered voters? That just seems like a waste of everybody's time, money, and resources. Exactly. Well, a lot of people switch to just everybody for right now, and then as you get closer to the election, they narrow it down. Um, Yahoo News actually just released a poll this uh, that came out today as well, where that that had the president up three, two points and three points over Trump and DeSantis. Um, and with those same polls, you know, you can pull the amount of people that you pull in a poll, a thousand or so people out of three hundred thirty million Americans. I can give you a thousand people to tell you they're all voting for Joe Biden. I can give you a thousand people to tell you they're all voting for Trump. Donald Trump, yeah. These polls are, they are what they are. They are a snapshot of a very small section of people who still have landlines a lot of times. <laughs> and so we know who they're not talking to, right? <laughs> right. I haven't been polled in quite some time, so... Oh, my God. I don't know. Oh, you, that's a good point. I don't know when I was last polled and how many people hang up, right? When you right. hear it's a poster, you automatically go clink, uh, right. you know, scam call or something. Yeah, okay. Well, I, we had to talk about it because, as you said, we're political junkies, and it is right. a poll, <laughs> so we needed to acknowledge it, but I think we're all in agreement the poll is trash, <laughs> Yeah, it's not going to do much. But but let's talk about uh, Trump. We got to get him out the way. Not a day goes by that we cannot uh, turn on the television. And as much as we wish not to see him, he is there. And tonight, mm -hmm. uh, Rafe, he's he's going, quote unquote, mainstream. He's talking to CNN, which he hasn't done in years. You know, the, the enemy, right? The demon. The, the demon child, and now all of a sudden he's going to New Hampshire to take questions from what are supposed to be Republican voters and independents, but we know what that means, really. Uh, what do you expect tonight at this CNN uh, big Donald Trump goes mainstream town hall? It's not really Trump going mainstream. It's CNN going toward Trump uh, because CNN is under different management now. And the instruction at CNN is to be much more Republican friendly, as they put it, uh, to kind of I'm not too sure where they want to end up with this, uh, but it's going to be a very friendly forum for Trump, which takes you back to the last time Trump was elected president when he got a tremendous amount of free coverage. The problem is Trump just can't help himself. He, he says things that can really backfire even in an incredibly friendly environment where people will ask questions like how long have you been a great man <laughs> and he'll find a way to say something that will find its way into democratic campaign commercials so on the other hand it is an indicator of one thing he dominates the republican party and everybody confuses that with dominating the whole political system yes but of course in this country, you've got to have a party behind you, and then you've got to take that and win a majority. He's done the first. He's done it before. All the other Republican candidates are terrified of him. They don't dare really criticize him. But that doesn't help him a bit once he's in a general election. And that's the dynamic that a lot of people are not realizing is as he gets stronger with Republicans, he's not necessarily getting any better with anybody else. 
Yeah, uh, Chris, so true about him dominating the party, so much so that in the face of this 79-year-old white woman who wins a $5 million verdict in Trump's hometown, the town that he once loved, that he once, you know, was so attached to, they basically said, oh, well, the, the whole judicial system in New York is flawed. It, it's, you know, the extremist left have taken over the judicial system. And right. this white woman is a liar. She's a scam artist. She's a con artist. They call the woman everything but a child of God. And these are the uh, the Christian right, right? These are the, the moral majority. These are the Bible thumpers who are right. saying it doesn't matter that this little old lady, and I don't mean old in a pejorative way, I just mean this mature lady is been proven to have been telling the truth about being sexually assaulted. Where's right. the where's the morality in the the moral majority party? There was some. There was morality in the moral majority. <laughs> I, I um as, as left as the I, room it, yesterday for sure, but I'm I'm sure it's been gone for many decades. But I, right, I'm like as far as I've seen, you know, attacking people, attacking women, attacking LGBT community members. I I don't see much much morality in that moral majority. But you know, this is who they are. This is who they've always been. They love Donald Trump because he is what they envision they are. But the fact remains is they are not. And Donald Trump does not care about them or the little people or whatever he wants to call them. And he, when he calls them the little people or the forgotten people, he's the one who's forgotten them. He's the reason <laughs> they're good, little. That's a good point. He has so, marginalized you know, them in the, the most significant way. You're right about that. Right. And the fact that, you know, I... I, hey, I I hate it, but I love it at the same time. If Republicans want to give Donald Trump the nomination and make it that much easier to get President Biden and Vice President Harris reelected, I'm not in the business of making of helping Republicans save themselves. So if that's the direction they want to go, great. But that also gives us the incentive to actually get off our butts and get out there and fight just as hard because we know what will happen if we if we screw up and he wins again. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I mean, just the calm that we've had in the White House is just so refreshing. You know, a president, again, and vice president that just don't create chaos everywhere they go. Uh, And as you said, Rafe, every question that gets posed to this guy, he's in a deposition saying E. Jean Carroll is not his type. And looking at a picture that's his ex-wife, like, dude, obviously she's close to your type. And then he has to go further and say to the lawyer... Quite frankly, you're not my type. Like, okay, little orange man, nobody cares who your type is. How disrespectful, how condescending is he to be in a deposition saying to this very, very well-respected, accomplished lawyer, lawyer who, by the way, kicked his lawyer's ass, that Mm -hmm. she's not his type? Who cares? That's not the point. Oh, boy, I could go on about that forever because I'm so incensed about him not showing up in court. But when we come forward, talk... We're going to talk more about Donald Trump for sure. We're going to talk about George Santos. He took unemployment money when he wasn't unemployed. How low can you go? KBLA Talk 1580. Stay with us. Ariva time is the right time. More of Ariva Martin in real time when we come forward. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. 
I'm back with Raphael Sunshine from Cal State University, Los Angeles, and Christopher Walton. He's the former Democratic Party chair in Milwaukee. And, Rafe, you said something about CNN going to Donald Trump. So, as we would expect, Donald Trump is already bragging about CNN, made him a deal that he couldn't turn down, that CNN is desperate to get what he calls those Trump ratings. So he's already you know, portraying this as if he's doing a big favor to CNN. We know during the 2016 election, he talked about how he made cable stations so much money. Why would CNN allow itself to be uh, used in this way by Donald Trump? So no matter what happens today, he's going to, you know, paint himself as the victor. Well, some of it is he's just not a very gracious guy. I mean, basically, they come to him basically perhaps embarrass themselves in order to please him and he, he he rubs their faces in it but that's just typical of donald trump but i think there's really a search for audience going on now with places like fox and msnbc and newsmax and all these folks are trying to decide what their audience is and cnn has has kind of been nowhere they're they're sort of like the roadkill in the middle of the highway you know, kind of neither left nor right. And I think with the new management, they think they can grab some part of a kind of less democratic, but maybe not far right audience. I'm not sure that's a good analysis, by the way, and I'm no business expert, but I'm not sure there's that many people well, I was gonna to sustain ask, an audience with that. I was going to ask Chris, who are those people? Because I don't even believe they're independents in this country. When people tell me they're an independent, yeah. hmm, I give them the side eye. So, uh, Chris, is there some group of folks out there, some sizable group of folks <clears throat> out there who don't identify either as Dems or Republicans, in your opinion? Uh, well, coming from a swing state, they're, they are out there. Where exactly they are is always hard to find, but they are out there. But, I'm not but doesn't one. a swing state just mean you swing one way in some elections and another way in a, other elections? Look, Wisconsin swings both ways in, in one election by itself. We elected a Democratic governor at the same time we reelected. We reelected a Democratic governor at the same time we reelected a Republican U.S. senator. Completely diametrically opposed to each other, but that's Wisconsin. So there, there's some sw- there are swing voters in some areas. Uh, there are swing voters in the, some of these house seats, but but on in general, most people aren't really swing voters. We know who we can skip. We can skip the rest of this year and get right to the election. We pretty much <laughs> who's going to vote for who. There may be about two or three percent of people who are actually swing voters. Yeah, no, thank you for putting that in perspective. I'm thinking about that because there's this news out of Texas that Greg Abbott, the governor, wants to pardon Mm -hmm. Daniel Perry. Daniel Perry sentenced to 25 years for killing a Black Lives Matter protester when he ran his car into him. So I'm thinking those so-called, you know, young voters who are voting with Trump over Biden, who we know are largely supporters of Black Lives Matters, so these are the same young voters who are going to vote for Donald Trump and Greg Abbott when Greg Abbott wants to pardon a man who killed a Black Lives Matter protest who was given 25 years in jail. It, it makes no sense, which, again, why we should not even listen to those polls. That That is complete idiocy. I, my, I have, you know, millennial Gen Z children, and I talk to them and their friends. They are outraged about this, you know, Daniel Perry situation and the fact that the governor would intervene 
and right. try to uh, not try, you know, but is planning to pardon this guy, uh, even though he killed a Black Lives Matter protester. So th- see, this the, is the exhibit problem, A of why that poll is trash. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. Right. The problem that we run into, though, and this is this is what really scares me for young voters, especially. I, I am a millennial. I don't think I'm a young voter anymore, but I am a millennial. Um, the options are not necessarily Biden versus Trump. The options are Biden or I'm going to just stay home that right. day. And we have to get a lot of them off, you know, off the bench into out there voting. And so we have to figure out how do we re-engage that community? How do we re-engage the black community? How do we re-engage the Latino community? How do we get everybody just as up and ready to go as they were in 2020 when we had 81 million Americans show up and vote to get rid of Donald Trump? How do we get all 81 million of them to show back up and keep him out? And then how do we get five or 10 million more to join that 81 million to make sure he stays out? Right. No, no doubt about it. And I think that would be a more accurate poll is that young voters may not vote at all. But to suggest mm-hmm. that young voters are with Donald Trump is just crazy. Let's talk about George Santos, though, Rafe. The speaker says, hey, let him stay in Congress. We know why. He needs that vote. And he'll take the vote even with a guy who's been accused of COVID fraud, getting unemployment during COVID, lying on his uh, you know, campaign finance documents. The guy has told so many. I'm, are you shocked that the indictment is only 13? I think that's the most shocking part to me. There's only a 13-count indictment. Oh, I think it's a highlights indictment. I mean, I think you take the best stuff and you make it an indictment. But let me tell you a little a little secret here. They're making a big mistake sticking with him because even though they need his vote now, it could cause them cost them House seats in New York. Mm-hmm. In a number of seats they won, every Democratic candidate running now is tying their Republican incumbent to santos Mm -hmm. and those republicans are saying get him out get him out they're saying get him out right away so this is a case of short-term thinking for this crazy debt limit thing you got to keep a keep them around the pass you know this crazy debt limit mess instead they should they should expel him and probably save their seats in new york they might even save his seat with another candidate so short-term long-term um, I'm not sure they're really playing this as well as they could. It, it's the instinct to protect the team at all costs. But yeah, I sometimes think you're right. the team can't be protected that way. We've seen Republican, uh, New York Republicans are pissed. They want this guy gone like oh, yesterday. Absolutely. They are not on board with keeping him around. And I don't know, Chris, what happens when you have the national leadership of the party like McCarthy saying we need him and you have the state party saying no he's 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 going to pull us all down as Rafe said we're going to go down on a sinking ship if we keep tying ourselves to this guy I feel so sorry for Republicans (laughs) I can tell (laughs) I just feel that that sincere pain that you have for them (laughs) I think I got a lifesaver in my pocket somewhere. We could toss it to the water, let them figure it out. But you know, you know, this is this is insane. This man has told he he's literally known as the lying politician. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you work that hard to become known as the lying politician over everybody else? I just you know I I wish him well. 
um, in his future endeavors, but he's going to jail. He did all this stuff. This man has lied more times in a little bit. And he's admitted to a lot of it. So they, they got him on tape. They got the receipts. He's, he, right. You know what? I, I laugh because he was at a Republican fundraiser with McCarthy and a lot of the other big Republican leaders. And he was bragging saying, I'm the junior, but I'm the most famous person here. So he is loving all of this. The guy needs a lot of mental health work. We know that because he was living his life very quietly, had gotten away from Brazil from writing those bad checks. And, you know, (laughs) that indictment, they're looking for him, right? So even after the American government gets through prosecuting him, he still is awaiting trial in another country. And his ego got the best of him told him that you too can be great you can be famous you can have your 15 minutes of fame and now in less than a year or almost about a year or so this dude is looking at a 13 count federal indictment and i'm with you christopher he's going to jail either he's gonna end up taking a plea deal and you know doing some jail time but he seems to think it was all worth it because he was so happy that he was the most popular the media wanted to talk to him everybody was chasing him he just lo- he is loving all of this attention and that's the sick sad part because that means he's not there really doing the job for the people of New York he's really just feeding his own ego uh when we come forward we got to talk about this debt limit this stuff is getting real uh and republicans are holding out for some pretty substantial tax cuts that could really harm working class people, people who receive government uh, benefits. There's a horrible story about a woman who hasn't worked, has a bunch of children that she relies on these benefits to take care of. Uh, What is this going to mean for real people? Because this can seem like one of those esoteric arguments that doesn't impact everyday people in their everyday lives. I want you all to help us understand how this is real and how it impacts real people uh, and their real life situations when we come forward kbla talk 1580 she's the real deal you're listening to ariva martin in real time on kbla talk 1580 the way we spend our time defines who we are you're listening to ariva martin in real time on kbla talk 1580 all right rafe uh give us the fifth grade level synopsis of what this debt limit a fight is about between Biden and the Republicans and how it impacts the lives of everyday people. Well, first of all, pull out a credit card right now. We've all got credit card debt, right? We could say we've spent too much money and that next month we're going to buy less and earn more. And that would mean our budget. That's what government normally does. The debt letter debt crisis says we call up MasterCard and say, because we've been spending so much money on your card, we're not going to pay it anymore. And what are you going to do about it? Now, if FDR was president, he would he would basically explain it that way to everybody and basically say, when you don't pay your credit card, you're getting a lot of trouble. MasterCard calls your debt, code, your credit goes down, you fall apart, you're a mess. So basically, this was invented by Newt Gingrich um, in the early 1990s. Nobody had ever paid any attention to this before, that there's this ridiculous idea that the government has to raise its debt limit to pay for what it has already committed to do and has already, in effect, spent. And he used it as a cudgel against the Clinton administration. And the real story for today is that the Republicans used it against Barack Obama, and Democrats will not forget that Obama negotiated with the Republicans a series of cuts that were really very devastating. I think he felt he had no choice. But the feeling 
for the Democrats is never again that they're not going to negotiate it. Now, the problem is the Republicans have moved way past that and now probably wouldn't mind actually going all the way to the end of, of hurting the full faith and credit of the United States. The problem is the 14th Amendment says that the full faith and credit of the United States shall not be questioned under any circumstance. So the Constitution is clearly, I think, superior to the debt limit. I'm not sure the Biden White House is yet ready to go all the way to that. They're very, very cautious. But they also don't want to go back to the negotiations that Barack Obama and Joe Biden had with a different Republican Party that sort of wanted to come back from the brink as well. It's a serious situation, and I don't think the public really has a clear idea of what it's all about, the difference between the budget and the debt limit. And the media reports that they're having negotiations in the White House about something, and the voters probably think it's a regular budget negotiation. They're actually negotiating whether to actually pay the bills we've already accumulated or not. That's not a negotiation. That's, you know, that's just crazy. Well, we know, Chris, that Republicans are threatening to hold uh, the country hostage. They're willing to shut the government down. They're willing to stop payments on things, you know, with, that the government owes, and including entitlements. And I'm a little skittish about Biden because he did talk, Rafe, about the 14th Amendment, but then he seemed to back away from that, saying, right. well, it'll be challenged in the court. And he started, Chris, talking about, well, maybe some of that COVID relief money that hasn't been spent yet, we can claw that back. And I'm like, wait a minute, Biden. We don't need to be calling anything back. People are still hurting. There's still people in need in this country. And the Republicans didn't have these conditions when Donald Trump was the president. And we don't need you backing down on this because the Republicans are trying to hold the country hostage. So where do you think Biden goes with this? Is he going to grow some and assert the 14th Amendment if he needs to? Or is he going to start pulling money off the table? I, you know... I don't know. I don't know where this is going to go. If it was me, I'm done playing with them. I would pull in the 14th Amendment at this point and let them fight it and challenge it. That's something that Democrats, we always get in trouble for doing. We're playing with people who would have thought, actually, at this point, the Tea Party Republicans would look back at them as like, oh, those are the good old days. (laughs) It's time that we actually hit them just as hard as they always hit us. And somebody has to be the one that says enough. And, you know, The sad part is the damage that the Republicans are literally about to cause the the global economy, because not just the United States. We are literally the foundation that the entire world economy stands on. And the damage that they're going to cause to the whole world just to hurt Joe Biden. It's it's unbelievable. But we have he has the ability if he so decides to go there and pull that nuclear card and go to with the route of the 14th Amendment. And I think we have no option at this point. Rafe, do you see any solution on the horizon? And again, like your explanation about that MasterCard, answer the question about potential compromise, but also give us a sense about what people may feel in terms of their day-to-day lives if they don't reach a compromise. Because the story I was reading about this woman, like I said, she was getting some kind of entitlement payments. She's a single mom. She doesn't work. And she's fearful that her entitlement payments may not be made if there is not resolution by June 1st. 
Well, I'm not sure it goes that way. I think what happens first is that the credit of the United States suffers. And the last time this happened, the credit rating of the United States was actually downgraded simply because of the threat that this could happen. I think Biden's a funny character. I think he always starts out by saying he's not going to do something. And then little by little, he edges toward doing it. And then when he does it, he does it with his full heart. And it actually kind of works. But it's it's agonizing to watch it from the outside because he starts by saying, oh, I don't know that we can do the 14th Amendment. Next week, he's going <laughs> to face a situation where he's probably going to have to say, like Harry Truman used to say, I'm the president and I'm going to make sure the full faith and credit of the United States is and take me to court if you want. And if the Supreme Court wants to cut off everybody's Social Security payments, let the majority on the Supreme Court make that decision. But I, where I'm sitting, I can't let this happen. And right. it's a bluff, you know, and I think Chris is right. I think it's not in the genes of Democrats to bluff. I mean, Gem Democrats are very rules. And I don't like breaking the rules. It's not really breaking the rules. It's establishing a new set of rules. Mm -hmm. We'll see. But But I've watched him. He evolves before your very eyes toward the position you probably wanted him to take early on. Right. Well, I agree but, with you on that, you know, Rafe. He is not going to, on his watch, let people suffer uh, when he knows that there is some alternative, even if it may be an unpopular alternative. And let's talk politics. This is, you know, election season. So you said the woman who's worried about her entitlement payment, that that's not likely to be cut off. It's going to be the credit issues. If there is no resolution come June 1st, and if he doesn't exercise this nuclear option with the 14th Amendment, will there become a time when people who receive payments from the government won't receive those payments? We don't know. I mean, we're in new territory here. But I do think the voters don't always understand issues, but they do reward strong leadership. Even if it's unclear, as long as that strong leadership is in the direction of trying to help them somehow people don't always pay attention to all the details and the rules and all this kind of stuff but we're coming to that moment it, it's kind of amazing and uh you know but i don't think any of us can predict whether where it where it ends up what's your biggest fear uh, chris with this battle obviously we don't want biden to be weakened in any way going into 2024 but what about right. you know what, what's your concern beyond that my concern is just the, for the people, the problems that we run into because we're playing with madmen, basically. Um, that's my biggest concern. At this point, you know, to, to use the phrase, it is what it is. We in the party, the president has is going to have to take a stand and say, no, we will not negotiate, which is exactly what he has done. You will raise the, the debt limit to pay the bills that we've already accumulated, the largest of which came from those Trump tax cuts that you all authorized, or you will destroy the world economy. So the choice is yours. Raise the debt limit and save the world, or don't raise the debt limit, and then go out there and campaign on it that you blew up the whole world economy. Do we know, Rafe, where Senate Republicans stand? We know that the House Republicans have passed this bill uh, that involves, you know, cuts into discretionary spending, things like parks and libraries and other things. Where are Senate Republicans on this? 
We don't know. Uh, a, a number of them, most of them have said they were going to support the House, but I'm not sure I believe that. Uh, I think when, to take Chris's scenario, I think the Senate is much less likely to jump off a cliff than the House Republicans are. And they're probably holding back, not wanting to be disloyal to their colleagues on the House side, but but kind of thinking, folks, what the heck are we doing here? But they're not in a position to say anything about that right now. They're probably hoping Biden figures it out. <laughs> so they don't have to weigh in one way or the other. So they're, they're- Then they can yell at him for doing it. But I think that they probably are hoping that he'll take the heat, which is what a president, by the way, is supposed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. They are supposed to take the heat. That's, again, what Harry Truman said. The buck stops here. Well, Biden obviously uh, understands that. He understands the assignment. And I, I love what you said, Rafe, having studied him, he has this process that all leaders have to go through. Uh, and we'll just watch to see what happens. This is a really important one. This is going to be a big test for Joe Biden mm-hmm. and his presidency. So we'll see what happens with it. All right, Rafe, always a pleasure to see you, my friend. <laughs> and thank you, Christopher, for your insights. So much happening. It sometimes makes your head swirl, all this news, particularly political news. If you weren't right. a political junkie, you, you will become one if you turn on uh, television. I'm sure tomorrow we'll be talking about that uh, town hall or Donald Trump commercial, free commercial, as you said, Rafe, unearned media that he's getting. He'll be bragging about it for the next 48 to, you know, uh, 96 hours, I'm sure. But always good to see you guys, my friends. Uh, When we come forward, we're going to talk more about Donald Trump and that civil verdict, $5 million. We've never had a president that has been adjudicated to be a sexual abuser. Uh, this is pretty big stuff. We don't want to sleep on this and we don't want to gloss over it. Some of my favorite guests, Richard Green and Nancy Erica Smith, will be joining me. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica. More? Shop Blindster today and save up to 50% over comparable blinds from brick and mortar stores. Get custom blinds at low prices and free shipping at blindster.com. Is this, this is the KBLA Sports Minute with Ray Richardson. No Lakers are on the team's injury report. That means everybody. Everybody is healthy for tonight's highly anticipated Game 5 against Golden State in San Francisco. A Lakers win sends them to the Western Conference Finals. Tip-off tonight is 7 on TNT. The NFL regular season schedule will be released tomorrow for all 32 teams. We'll let you know about the key games for the Chargers and Rams, including the home games you want to plan for at SoFi Stadium. Tiger Woods made it official that he will not be playing in the PGA Championship. The PGA tees off May 18th in New York. Woods is still recovering from from ankle surgery on April 19th. He is still having problems with his ankle from the car crash in 2021 outside LA. Don't be surprised if Woods sits out the rest of the 2023 season. No debates, no speculation, just the info you need. That's your KBLA Sports Minute. I'm Ray Richardson. More news, opinions, and conversation when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. If you're not following KBLA Talk 1580 on all of our socials, then you're missing out. Download our app and find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and on the web at KBLA 1580. That's right. Again, you can find all of our socials at KBLA 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. By the way, if you miss any of our weekday shows in real time, you can always catch up by checking out the podcast of your favorite shows at your leisure. At KBLA Talk 1580, we've got your black. Got your black. Oh my God. Follow the leader. 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 
President Joe Biden and congressional leaders failed to resolve the impending default crisis at a contentious meeting in the Oval Office yesterday. But they plan to meet again Friday. Each side accused the other of being unreasonable. And Biden, for the first time, said after the meeting that there have been White House discussions about taking the unilateral step of invoking the 14th Amendment to circumvent Congress and ignore the debt ceiling although he seemed to later back down from that position. George Santos was taken into custody in the federal courthouse today in Manhattan. He was charged in a 13-count indictment with seven counts of wire fraud, three counts of money laundering, one count of theft of public funds, and two counts of making materially false statements to the House of Representatives. The scandal played congressman who ran a life story littered with lies finally faces federal charges. Now, Santos pled not guilty today, and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says he should remain in Congress. Donald Trump is found liable for sexually abusing writer and journalist E. Jean Carroll. A Manhattan jury found that the former president sexually assaulted her in a department store approximately 30 years ago, and that he then defamed her when he denied the assault. Trump was ordered to pay $5 million in damages, including punitive damages. He vows to appeal, and tonight he may be talking about it at a CNN town hall. Steve Schwartzman repeatedly has refrained from backing Ron DeSantis for president. Schwartzman, the billionaire co-founder of the investment giant Blackstone and major Republican donor, has met with the Florida governor on multiple occasions, but says he is unconvinced about his odds for success. Senator Dianne Feinstein, Democrat of California, is returning to Washington. Her office has announced that after a nearly three-month absence from the Senate that threatened to deprive the party of its ability to advance Biden's judicial nominees and grind its agenda to a halt in the closely divided chamber, her Office says she is ready to serve. Feinstein is 89 years old and her vote on the Judiciary Committee is critically needed by the Democrats. Prices climbed 4.9 percent in April compared with the year before as inflation continues to ease. But households and businesses are still feeling the sting of high prices and the ongoing fallout from this spring's banking crisis. A new NBC or new ABC poll, I should say, says that Joe Biden is trailing Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis by as much as seven percentage points and that Trump is leading Biden amongst young people. Now, Democratic analysts and strategists say this poll is basically trash. Others, including former senior advisor to the Republican House Oversight Committee, Kurt Bardella, says today's polls and the art of saying uh, what the president's approval ratings are, he says, Kurt Bradella says, all of these are useless tools in our highly, highly partisan world. Well, you are listening and watching Ariva Martin in real time. This is your one-stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. And I'm your host, Ariva Martin. Uh, this is hour two, and we are breaking down this Trump civil verdict. 
This verdict is historic on so many levels. This is the first time in the history of the United States that a former president has had to stand trial, even though it's a civil trial, not a criminal trial, but he had to stand trial for sexual abuse allegations. Trump, in a stunning reversal of what everyone thought would be his, you know, debut appearance, decided not to even make uh, an appearance in the trial, not to testify. And his lawyers made the strategic call not to put on any witnesses. Now, Trump's team may have thought that that was strategic, but apparently the jurors, the nine jurors, six men, three women, didn't take too kindly to Trump's dismissive uh, and, uh, you know, attitude whereby he wouldn't even show up to tell them that he didn't do it. But he had the unmitigated gall to suggest or to think that he was somehow going to win that trial. Now, I'm a civil rights attorney. I've been in trial many times. I've handled sexual harassment, sexual assault cases. I cannot think of a civil trial that has gone well for a defendant that didn't even bother to show up at the trial, didn't bother to testify, didn't bother to deny the allegations against him or her, and then decided not to put on any evidence. Now, Trump has had some of the best lawyers in the country representing him on a range of things uh, from civil matters. And obviously he's had lawyers involved with these criminal investigations and this new criminal indictment out of Manhattan. But I'm not sure that he is still able to attract the best and the brightest in the legal profession, because I just have to tell you, whoever decided on the trial strategy in the case of E. Jean Carroll versus Donald Trump, they got it wrong. And the jury sent a clear message to Donald Trump that your white male privilege, that it could not cause you to defeat this 79-year-old woman who put on a very, very compelling and persuasive case. When we come forward, we're going to talk with a Democratic strategist about what this means for 2024 for the presidential election. And we're going to talk to uh, a a victim's rights lawyer, one of the best in the country, about the chances of Donald Trump prevailing on appeal in this hour. It's all about the civil verdict against former President Donald Trump. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Brady and the Ad Council. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm back and in this hour I'm joined first by Richard Green. He is a Democratic strategist and he's also a communications specialist. Welcome back, Richard. I wanted to talk with you, my friend, when this verdict came down yesterday. You know, this is one of the things we've debated on this show and others. Uh, first, tell me, what was your reaction when you saw after two and a half hours, this jury came back with a verdict for the plaintiffs? Well, I was <clears throat> deliriously happy, um, <laughs> surprised that it came back that quickly from a s- traditional standpoint. But not surprised. I mean, <clears throat> what evidence was there other than what E. Jean Carroll presented? I mean, to me, it was a slam dunk. But my only fear was because this was a nine-person jury that had to be unanimous, unlike many civil trials in state court, that there would be a Trump cult 
person holdout. But the evidence could not have been more clear. And as a lawyer, you and I, I, I mean, we could only imagine if we're in a case and the other side misidentifies someone to prove the fact that he was, in fact, deeply attracted to her. I mean, it just everything went wrong for him. But does it matter? Well, that's the big question. And, and you and I are going to spend some time now talking about the political ramifications. And again, the reason I wanted to do a whole hour on this story is because I, I don't think we can gloss over the significance of what happened in that courtroom yesterday. We have never had a former president to go uh, to be accused of sexual assault and to be sued for it and then to have a full-blown jury trial and for that jury trial to result in a verdict in favor of the plaintiff. I think we've got to just stop and scratch our heads and say, my, 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 what has come become of our country that someone like Donald Trump could have been elected to office. We had all the warning signs, all the red flags were there, and yet he was still elected. So we, we don't need to talk about the base, Richard. We know the base is with him no matter what. But let's talk about those voters that might have voted for him in 2020 who were you know, allegedly or claimed to be independents, maybe suburban white women who thought he would, you know, be better on some issues that they care about. Where are those voters, you think? So, first of all, Donald Trump didn't really win in 2016. He got blown out. And, and he got blown out in 2020 if we look at what really should count, which is the national popular vote. But I think I think that the, there are two reasons why Donald Trump has any political currency left at all. Number one is young people don't vote. They just don't. I have this argument almost every day when you have in the midterms 27 percent of 18 to 29 year olds vote. And then in a presidential, maybe it shoots up to 40. But when you have old white people, 65 plus voting at 65 or 70%, that nullifies the youth vote. And the youth vote is not gonna vote for Donald Trump, but they don't vote. But the biggest thing, and I hear this all the time, all the time, Ariva, it's like, you know, how could you support Donald Trump? He's good for the economy. How can you support Donald Trump? We did really well under him and economically. And, and you know, these kitchen table issues, which is, you know, your finances, how much food costs, how the economy is doing. Of course, Donald Trump had nothing to do with those. Those were the after effects of that African-American guy, you know, who fixed yeah, that what, the <laughs> with, what the previous white Republicans screwed up. But that's those are the two big things. Okay, so we know where this country is or is likely to, well, we know where it is today. We don't know where it's going to be, you know, next November or the, when the election rolls around. But do you think we are going to hear people start to say, yes, I might have had more discretionary income when he was president. Again, not because he caused that to happen, but for whatever purposes, I felt like I had more money. But I have real issues with a guy who now is a you know, sexual abuser. I mean, that's it. We can't call him a rapist because the jurors found that he did not rape her, but sexual abused her, which means without her consent, touched her, you know, in a sexual way, her private parts or intimate parts. Is anybody going to say that? 
yeah, I may have had a little bit more money, but I just don't want that guy to be my president. So here's my feeling. I actually want Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee for exactly the reasons that you're talking about, Ariva. I think every single day that goes by and he's going to go on CNN in, in a few minutes and he's going to lie his ass off. And every single minute that we are exposed to this monster, people who are somewhat rational are losing confidence in him. And therefore, I, I agree with John Cornyn, right? The Republican Party is going a little a little crazy now. They're going, oh, my God, he can't win because he's lost so many suburban moms just with those comments from this one trial alone. So I want him to be the nominee. I do not think he will win. But um, he is the most successful con man probably in the history of our country. And you never know. So much can happen. But the problem, one last thing, I am also enormously concerned, as we've discussed, about Joe Biden, his age, his vulnerability on his age, and the fact that people do not look at Kamala Harris as a legitimate backup that makes them feel safe and secure. Well, one, I think that's not true. I think there are lots of people, millions of people in this country that think she is an incredible uh, vice president and would be a very, very formidable presidential candidate or president if she had to step in, if something happened to Joe Biden. Uh, we've had that debate before. We're going to not we don't have enough time in this segment to have that debate. But I do want to ask you, how should the Democrats message around this jury verdict? Because we know we've already seen a bunch of wimpy Republicans, Mike Pence being top of the list, Mr. Christian morality, Mr. Bible thumping Mike Pence, who still after this jury verdict would not come out and acknowledge that Donald uh, Donald Trump is just unfit to serve as president from a moral standpoint. So we, we can't count on Republicans. DeSantis, even his opponents, Nikki Haley, they're not going to do it. What should our message be as Democrats? What, what is the political message? Your, your political communication specialist, how should we be messaging on this? Here's the other thing that was equally as big as Donald Trump now being legally cast as a sexual abuser by not CNN, not MSNBC, not Areva Martin, but by a jury of his own peers. I mean, that's huge. I mean, that's the core of our judicial system speaking, right? But they also made another determination, which is that he's an absolute liar. Yes. It's not CNN, it's not MSNBC, it's not you or me. A jury of his peers said, you are a liar. Now. Ironically, and I think powerfully, on the same day that a guy who is in the same liar league as Donald Trump or one of them. Yeah, one and two. They, they trade places one and two. You know, George Santos gets arrested for lying. So and the key thing, I think, is I want to eviscerate and destroy the Republican Party as it now stands. And if we can, if Democrats can keep communicating, look at their their leader, their their godly leader, Donald Trump, is a confirmed liar. Yes. Their other guy who lied to even get in is is now been arrested for what? For lying. And Kevin McCarthy and the rest of the Republican Party stands by these people. They are the party of lying. Yes. And if you like lying and if that's the legacy you want about politics and our government for your kids, 
then vote for Republicans. Okay, Otherwise, okay, well, hold a second, Richard. Let me play devil's advocate because you know what someone's going to say. They're going to say they all lie. All politicians lie. So what's the difference? Give give us a good comeback for this. This is going to be some good talking points for us Dems. What are we going to say right. when they say they all lie? Right. And if I had a nickel for every time I heard that, you know, I'd be a billionaire. I mean, that's that's what they all say. And I say, you know what? Maybe, maybe not. I don't think Jamie Raskin lies. You know, I don't think Ted Lieu lies. I don't think my friend Sheldon Whitehouse lies. I don't think, right, there's that. But then I say to them, listen, do you go over 65 on the freeway? And of course, everyone does. And I said, well, you're breaking the law, right? Mm -hmm. But is going 66 or 67 on the freeway the same as going 135 while drunk? No. So the lying that we're seeing from the Republican Party is felony, drunk driving, speeding. Okay. And the lying that happens by Democrats is one or two miles an hour over the speed limit. It's not the same. Great. So we, we deal with their argument by saying that's a false equivalency. Exactly. And there are white lies. If, you, if you're Catholic or you know any Catholics, you know there's something we call little white lies. Like you said, we all tell them, right? Oh, your baby's so cute. When they're not, yeah. <laughs> that's a little white lie, right? Oh, your wife is gorgeous. Mm, not really. So they're those little <laughs> polite lies that we tell in a civilized society that makes us civilized individuals versus I'm getting unemployment during COVID when I'm working and I'm not deserving or I don't qualify for unemployment. And I'm lying about campaign contributions that I'm getting from you that I'm telling you I'm using on my campaign, but I'm really using it to pay my personal rent and my personal expenses. So we need to distinguish, as you're saying, between the conduct of these now soon to be convicted liars and the little white lies that we all do. Or I don't even know who she is. I've never seen her in my life. And he, a jury said, no, not only have you seen her, but you ripped her clothes off and you sexually assaulted her. I mean, and the, you're, the she's moral... not my type, but she looks <laughs> just like one a of woman your wives. who is my type. Right. <laughs> no, I, no. I mean, it's it's beyond laughable. Yeah. But here's the bottom line. Here's the positive bottom line. If Americans vote, especially young Americans and people of color we're not going to have to worry about any of this. And I keep saying that over and over and over again. Oh, okay. We can fix this. Okay, let me give you another hypothetical. Let's assume, and I think we're all in agreement, the best matchup for Dems is Donald Trump because we have just just so much content, so much we can do in terms of ads to just go after this guy and just drill home you know, at the case you just made. What if by chance... Ron DeSantis or one of these other Republicans slips through that primary and now we don't have someone that is so obviously morally, you know, corrupted like Donald Trump, although they are, but, you know, they, they don't have the federal investigations. They don't have the five million civil verdict, et cetera. What do we do then? I, I, I lose sleep over that. Uh, I had a I had I had breakfast with Fred Gutenberg, the Parkland parent, uh, about a week ago. He he's met Ron DeSantis. He said, "Richard, don't worry about Ron DeSantis. He's boring as dirt. He's 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 a terrible campaigner. He's not going to." But I'm not sure about that. 
Um, and great advertising campaigns can cover up someone's personal communication weakness. I'm concerned about Nikki Haley. I'm concerned about some other people who might come out of the woodwork. But why am I concerned? And we can talk about this later, Ariva. It's because I love Joe Biden. He's done an unbelievably wonderful job. He's brilliant. But people have problems with him and they do have problems with Kamala. I'm Richard, sorry to you say that. can't ever have a conversation about politics without bashing our president and our vice president. And that's what we Democrats need to do. <laughs> we need to stop trying to fall in love and we need to fall in line. Fall in line, Richard. Forget love. That, and what's Martin? love got to do with it? We're not asking you to love Joe. We're not asking you to love Kamala. Just fall your butt in line. That's what... What is Kevin McCarthy doing? Do you think he likes George Santos? He probably loathes that guy. He hates that guy. That guy's a pain in his butt. But he's falling in line, and he thinks he needs him for the vote on this debt of limit course. issue. He's being Machiavellian. He's being Machiavellian, but so am I. Listen, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Well, so, I promise But you. it's important that you say that and that you convince other people because okay. if you keep saying you have a problem, somebody listening to you is going to say, well, that white guy, lawyer who's smart, <laughs> if he has a problem, then maybe I should have a problem too. So, so people do Ariba. follow your okay. lead, Richard. So I need you to step up on this and fall in line. Tell me personally how Joe and Kamala irritate you. Send me a text message. But publicly, we have to be unified. Okay, let me let me make it really party. clear. Let me make it really clear. I love Joe Biden. <laughs> I've met the man. I love him. I think he's one of the finest human beings to ever run for any office in America. I really appreciate Kamala. All I care care about, and I will vote for them no matter what. Okay, hundred percent. I will crawl on glass to vote for them if that's how I have to do it. But the only thing that counts to, for me is winning the White House. And that's all I care about. And if we're running against Trump, I'm not very concerned. And if we're running against a really strong Republican candidate who's going to be slick and slippery and leverage all of these Republican talking points that seem to have some emotional appeal for people in swing states because young people don't vote. So we need those swing voters. Then I'm concerned. Well, it's all, I'm being very pragmatic. No, no, like and, Kevin and, and it's okay to be concerned, but we just have to get smart and be strategic, right? We can be concerned, but we have to be strategic. And no matter who that candidate is, we know we cannot afford this. And here's the way cannot, to do it. Our democracy cannot afford to have a Republican in that White House. I absolutely. And Too here's, here's the thing. And I've said this a million times. So here's the argument. It doesn't matter whether it's Mickey Mouse or or uh, Paul McCartney, well, he couldn't be anybody in the White House, right? All that matters is what Supreme Court justices are they going to appoint? Because that's going to affect you in a very big way for many, many years. And what bills are they going to sign? So if you want, you know, reproductive rights restored, only a Democratic president, even if yes. he's 147, Yes. Can do that. Only a Democratic vice president can do that. And if you care about any of the others, the climate, guns, yes. all of that. So be strategic. Do not fall. Insist that you fall in love with him. I agree with you on that. Yes. Fantastic, Richard. Always good to see you, my friend. Great insights as usual. I have to have you back. We're going to have to pick apart this bogus town hall <laughs> 
free commercial. Let's call it what it is. Free commercial that Donald Trump is getting tonight on a cable network. I think he's going to hurt himself. I think he's going to hurt himself. We'll We'll have that discussion. When we come forward, more on the civil verdict in the E. Jean Carroll case with uh, civil rights attorney and victims rights attorney Nancy Smith. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. Ariva time is the right time. More of Ariva Martin in real time when we come forward. Forward. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm back, and my friend and colleague Nancy Erica Smith, nationally recognized victims' rights attorney uh, who represented former Fox anchor Gretchen Carlson against Fox executive Roger Ailes, she's here to help us break down this $5 million civil verdict against Donald Trump in the E. Jean Carroll sexual abuse and defamation case. Welcome back, Nancy. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you, Ariva. Well, you and I, I don't know, was it five days ago or just last week, you were here for an hour helping us understand what was at stake and what was going on in the trial. And we had a conversation about a couple of things. One that comes to mind is that jury, uh, you know, that makeup of the jury, six men, three women. We both were a little concerned about whether the men would get it. So tell me what you felt when you heard this verdict uh, that was for the plaintiff and the amount of $5 million being awarded to E. Jean Carroll. You know, I, I happened to be home and my son was here with me and my husband had left BBC on. And so I got a call from CNN, the verdict's coming in. And I was like, oh my God, that's so quick. I would thought the next day. And so I stand in front of the TV and some guy on the BBC goes like this with his ear like somebody's talking into his ear and he says, no, not guilty for raping her. And I looked at my son and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. And I switched the channel and immediately the Chiron was Trump guilty of sexual abuse. So first I was horrified. (laughs) Then I was so relieved. I think we had a similar experience that day. I started getting media calls, too, saying the verdict is coming, the verdict is coming. And in my mind, I was thinking, they haven't been out long enough. And, you know, as trial lawyers, we're thinking, if they're coming back that fast, it's probably for the defense, because traditional wisdom is, if you're going to give money to the plaintiff, you need some time to work through what those damages are. So I'm thinking, this has got to be a defense verdict. I'm like, oh, no, they've only been out two and a half hours. And then yep. when I saw it, I was like, oh, damn, they got it. And they got it fast. But let's let's talk about this. I, I'm so glad to talk to you, a lawyer, about this. Have you ever seen a trial, a civil trial, where the defendant didn't show up, didn't take the witness stand to deny whatever he or she has been accused of, and did not put on any evidence? I know I have never experienced that. You are a little bit more experienced than me in terms of years of practice. Have you ever seen that? Never in my life have I seen no def- no defense at all put on and certainly never seen, uh, don't even show up. The arrogance of this man is, uh, you just can't even get your head around how arrogant this man is. Yeah. How disdainful of people, everybody, the courts, lawyers, his own lawyer, just disdainful. Yeah. You know, and again, you don't have to be a lawyer to understand this, but I think as lawyers, there's something about that. that is so 
just bold and audacious and just, like you said, arrogant. Like, I've never seen a person say, screw the whole process, and then think that a bully lawyer who's acting like a bully, and I know JoJo's pretty a nice guy, actually, but, you know, to take on that persona of Donald Trump and think you're going to win just through your brilliant Perry Macy, Johnny Cochran type cross-examination? I don't really think so. arrogant. <laughs> really, really arrogant. Okay. You well, know, Weinstein, that, you know, Weinstein didn't testify. He did show up, yes. but he didn't testify. And his legal team had the same thing. Attack, attack, attack. Ariva, it's actually possible that maybe things have changed for us a little bit. Well, we know they've changed in terms of the courts allowing witnesses, like the two witnesses that testified on behalf of Eugene Carroll. We know 10 years ago, 15, even longer, having those kind of propensity witnesses would not have been allowed in these kinds of cases. How do you think that's changed the game uh, in these sexual assault, sexual abuse cases? It, it's changed it tremendously because for some reason, since the beginning of time, women who accuse men of rape and sexual assault have not been believed as if it's fun to make that stuff up. So we start from a misogynist point of view in all cultures all around the world. And we have to chip away at that. And one way to chip away apparently is if there's another victim or two more victims or three more victims, it's easier for people to understand that women don't lie about sexual abuse. Yeah. I mean, it happens. It's so rare. The problem is not women lying about sexual abuse. The w problem is the whole system has made women not even complain about sexual abuse. And not come forward. Yeah, let, let's talk about this appeal. We know Donald Trump appeals everything, right? His right. playbook is just keep the litigation going for as long as possible. Uh, keep the matter tied up in court. So he, of course, will appeal. But I heard one of his lawyers say they thought they had really strong grounds of appeal because the rape, you know, there was no finding that the rape charge wasn't substantiated and that the defamation case was built on him saying, I didn't rape her. So their claim is if there wasn't a finding of rape, then he could not have defamed her by saying, I didn't rape her because in order to be you know, the, the standard in the defamation is that, you know, whether something is proven to be true or not true. So help us understand the logic, if there is any, in that argument. And where do you think it goes on appeal? I think that that's going absolutely nowhere on appeal. He called it a hoax and a con job and a lie because her book came out and her book described exactly what she described at trial. Mm -hmm. And it's, even, the thing about the rape that I want to say is, she didn't go into detail about penetration from his penis. She didn't. And who wants to do that? Right. I don't, no woman wants to do that. And she's 79 years old, as she pointed out in the trial, that she was raised at a time where she didn't discuss things like this with her sister, who she talked to every day. Mm -hmm. So her lawyer probably recognizing who she was as a person, did not go into incredible detail about the rape allegation. And Joe Tacopina didn't do cross-examination of it. Mm -hmm. So a reasonable jury could say, you know, did she really give us the details we need to find for that? Because they found for everything else, including punitive damages. 
Right. So I, you don't see I, any inconsistency that would give them any legitimate grounds on appeal between the jury saying we found on the sexual abuse, but we didn't find evidence of the rape. Yeah, because what what is he saying that I, I do agree that I forced her against the wall, pushed her against the wall, pulled down her tights and put my fingers in her vagina? Is he admitting that he did that? I, I mean, he called it and <laughs> said he never met her. He said he never met her. And she proved that he sexually assaulted her. His defamation appeal is going nowhere. Yeah, I couldn't quite understand the argument because right after they made that statement they started talking about hunter biden (laughs) (laughs) right so of course they did (laughs) so i don't know how serious the lawyer was taking you know their own argument but somehow they're trying to make some i don't know like the jury got it wrong they were confused and that you couldn't find on i guess let me try to interpret for this lawyer that you couldn't find on the sexual assault without finding on the rape and that the defamation can't stand unless there's a finding on the rape. That, that's that's it a in com- a nutshell. <laughs> that's a completely ridiculous argument. It's a sexual assault to touch a woman's genitals, even with your hands. Yes. Okay. We know that. Uh, a lot of questions people are asking me, is she ever going to see the money? What do you think? I think she's going to see the money. I think that like Weinstein's appeal, which was lost on, 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 they think they have the same, oh, I had a biased judge. This judge bent over backwards. Takapina was constantly admonished for violating the rules and the court's orders. Trump violated the court's rules and court's orders. He had, they had such a long leash in this case. They got away with a lot. He rested, and then the judge was going to let him come back. And Tessa, have you ever had that happen to you? Come you know, here? I was reading, and I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. You rest, and the judge yeah. is begging you if you want a chance to reopen your case and let your client, the defendant, come in, I'll reopen your case. And even right. with that incredible offer, Joe couldn't convince Don to come in. Don was not coming to court. Do you think well, he didn't want to be cross-examined? Uh, you know, wh- what was the issue? He didn't want to, that was beneath him. Everything is beneath him, right? So was right. it beneath him to be in a courtroom with his hand on a Bible? What's your best estimate or speculation about why he didn't testify at his own trial? My speculation is Joe Tacopina told him, I will quit if you come and try to testify in this case. Um, Because on the very day that Trump was giving that speech in Ireland, I'm going back to testify. Joe Tacopina was standing up in court saying, we're resting. He's not coming back. He's not going to testify. And the judge said, I'll give you till Sunday afternoon. Something that's never happened to me. Once I rest, if I forgot to put a document in, I can't reopen. So so I think that Joe Tacopina knew that it's devastating. The Hollywood Access tape is devastating. And his own deposition was devastating. And in a controlled environment, Trump thinks like he's probably doing tonight. He's a blowhard. He's, uh, you know, he, he incites people with racism and sexism. And that's his cult. Mm-hmm. And he thinks he's going to go into a courtroom and get away with that. And he wasn't. And Joe knew it. You're yeah. going to be cross-examined. You're going to have to answer questions. You're probably going to be admonished repeatedly by the judge. And what you said in your deposition is idiotic. You thought the woman you said you didn't know and wasn't your type was your second wife. Which proves that she was your type because you married her. If you thought it was your wife, that's the woman that you married. You know, I, I want another thing in that deposition. He insulted the lawyer. He says, oh, by the way, you're not my type either. 
Do you think the jurors, I, I mean, the six men there, you think they're sitting here thinking, this could be my wife, this could be my daughter, my sister? I was really worried, Nancy, about those six guys. What, what do you think resonated with them in this trial? I, I don't think juries like to be lied to. Mm -hmm. It feels insulting when somebody lies to you. Mm -hmm. And it's clear that he knew her. Mm -hmm. And it's clear that that he made that mistake. And I think that his everybody describes the courtroom as being very cordial, mm -hmm. that the lawyers in front of the jury were cordial to one another, cordial to the judge. Uh, Roberta Kaplan was not a, a, a particularly aggressive lawyer no. and she won. So I, I give it to her. Um, uh, she, she won. She had the right strategy for this case. Um, so I think that to have her insulted in that way and to play that in front of them really could have, as you say, reminded them of, wow, my, my cousin, you know, could be Roberta Kaplan or my wife or my mom or, or just, this is a nice woman who's been respectful and courteous to us in the jury, even to his lawyer. And he's being insulting in, in the same way that he's insulting Ms. Carroll yeah. and the other victims. One of the things that I talked about yesterday was how difficult it is to find lawyers that will take these cases. Can you imagine somebody coming into your office saying, I was sexually assaulted 30 years ago. There's this one brief window of opportunity that I can file this lawsuit. I don't really remember the date. I don't have all the facts. And, you know, I shared with people that she could have been turned down by scores of really good lawyers saying, I believe you. But this is going to be a very, very expensive and very difficult case to prosecute. And that, you know, that's the journey that so many women go through as they're trying to find lawyers for these cases. Absolutely. You have to be the perfect plaintiff to ever win mm -hmm. a sexual assault case. You have to be perfect. Marge Piercy has this wonderful poem called The Gray Flannel Sexual Harassment Suit. <laughs> and it talks about you must be a virgin and you can't ever have cursed, only she says it poetically and beautifully. <laughs> but it, there's this concept that if you forget something, if you didn't act the way they think you should act, if you didn't Listen, strangling women is the most common way that women are murdered, right? Mm -hmm. So you're alone. You don't think anybody's around. It was very smart of them to have a witness to say the lingerie department was frequently unstaffed <laughs> and quiet. Yes. And you're going to scream, this man is assaulting you. And he just, all he has to do is put his hands around your neck. Of course, it's, it's ridiculous to say there's one way to react. Yeah. Well, Nancy, you know, your insights are always welcomed and you make me so much smarter <laughs> talking to you. You make my audience smarter. Thank you so much for spending some time with us trying to make sense of this. And again, I've been saying over and over again, we should not gloss over how significant this is that a former president has now been uh, deemed a sexual abuser and a liar. Let's call defamation what it is, a liar. Uh, we've never had that happen in the entire history of this country. So that this is, is true. Significant. And we it's should always not... an honor to be with you, Ariva. I admire you <laughs> so much. And I'm honored to be on this show. Thank you so much. All right, my friend. We will see you on the next one. All right. All right. Nancy Thank Erica you. Smith, a renowned victims' rights attorney. All right, when we come forward, more on KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. 
present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We really can't stress enough the significance of a case like Eugene Carroll and what it means in this country for sexual assault victims to be listened to and to be believed. You may have heard of this story out of Louisiana where a man has just walked free after spending 29 years in a Louisiana prison for a rape that this victim, a six-year-old, his six-year-old stepdaughter, says he did not commit. The district attorney uh, in this district talks about how just disheartening it was to know that this victim, the six-year-old who now is an adult, has been consistent in her insistence that her stepfather, Patrick Brown, wasn't her attacker, but nobody was willing to listen to her. Uh, adults around her thought they heard her say that her stepdad had raped her, but from the age of six years old when this uh, alleged crime happened, this little six-year-old was very clear uh, that her stepfather was not the attacker, yet he was uh, arrested, prosecuted, and spent almost 30 years in jail. Uh, the district attorney in uh, Louisiana, New Orleans, uh, Jason Williams, who just got elected in 2020, talked about how important it is to listen, engage victims and survivors of sexual assault, and how he's making that a top priority in his office. Uh, this woman was you know, dismissed. She was ignored. And no matter how inconvenient her truth, uh, when all she wanted was the real offender to be held responsible. I think this case, like E. Jean Carroll, is a wake-up call for America. When victims tell you who abused them, we need to believe them. And when they tell you who is not their attacker, likewise, we need to believe them. Uh, studies show that there is a very, very, very low incidence of women who make up being sexually assaulted. Uh, but unfortunately, in this country for way too long, for, for too many years, women who were sexually assaulted uh, were not believed. And many were shamed into silence. They were told that if they came forward, they would lose their jobs, they would lose their reputations, uh, they could lose their spouses, and in some cases, even lose their children. Yes, there are cases uh, where women who are the victims of sexual assault have had their children actually removed from their homes. They have been deemed unfit parents. Uh, we've come a long way in this country just in the years that I've been practicing law. I've seen major sea changes in the way that sexual assault cases are handled both at the criminal level and the civil level. But we have so much more work to do in this country. Uh, I've heard people even say in the case of E. Jean Carroll, why did she take so long? Why didn't she come forward when it happened? Yeah, why didn't she scream? Why didn't she do this? Why didn't she do that? And I think Nancy makes the perfect case, Nancy Smith, for this notion that there's somehow a perfect victim. If you have ever been attacked, if you've ever been uh, traumatized, you know that all of us have different reactions. Some of us freeze. Some of us take flight. Uh, we have different ways that we respond to trauma. And there is no perfect victim and there is no perfect response to being victimized. Uh, and again, I'm just hoping that this case encourages more women, particularly women of color who have suffered in silence for way too long, that women have found their voice. Now that we have found our voices, that we continue to use our voices. And when one woman comes forward, like E. Jean Carroll, it gives power. It gives courage to other women to tell their stories because they then too believe that 
somebody might listen to them. Somebody might engage with them. Somebody might believe uh, that they are true uh, victims, that they are survivors. So this verdict, it's not $10 million. It's not $100 million. And people say, why wasn't it more? I don't care if it was $5. It is so significant because it says Donald Trump is the predator that we have all known him to be. And now that is indisputable. It's on the record. It's in writing. It's memorialized for all time. And all women and men should be shouting hallelujah because Donald Trump has lost. He has met his match. And ironically, that match was a 79-year-old woman. All right, y'all, I'm out. The next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Raw Report. You can follow me on all social media platforms at Ariva Martin. And if you miss any episodes of Ariva Martin in real time, you can check out my podcast, Ariva Martin in real time. The podcast of all of the daytime shows on KBLA are available for your listening pleasure. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica.